Welcome to the South Canaan Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. I'm going to be talking to you about uh, worship. Worship is going to be the uh, topic that we're going to talk about, but I'd like to open with just this question. Uh, how many of you have seen uh, Military Salute? And if you have, do you know why they salute? Why they do it? Well, these are some reasons. Uh, it's a gesture of respect, homage, or polite recognition or acknowledgement, especially one made to or by a person when arriving or departing. Uh, no one knows the precise origin of today's hand salute. From earliest times and in many distant armies throughout history, the right hand or weapon hand has been raised as a greeting of friendship. The idea may be have been to show that you weren't ready to use a rock or a weapon. Courtesy required that the inferior or junior uh, make the gesture first. Certainly there is some connection between the old gesture and the present salute. And if you haven't seen that, basically it looks something like, like that. Now, you probably wonder, what does that have to do with uh, worship? Well, can you think of another physical act that resembles military hand salute that involves respect and homage? Because those same words are found in when we look up worship. Now I've been trying to practice this all week. Let's see if let's see if I if I do it justice. Proskuneo. Proskuneo. That is Greek for worship. And when I looked that word up, it said that it's to fond or crouch to. That is literally or figuratively prostrate oneself in homage, do reverence to adore, to worship. Worship is an external component because we can witness someone assuming that posture like so. <clears throat> and leaning forward. I think that's important because I think we just kind of talk to God any kind of way sometimes. Now, understands when we're under duress, there may not be time to uh, get into a crouch uh, position. But I don't think that's the case all the time. So I, I, I just would uh, remind you that that's kind of important. That's a part of uh, worship. So it's external and it's internal. And some prostrate, and we've heard of uh, and read David prostrated himself uh, before the Lord. So that that is kind of important. So just kind of keep that uh, in mind. Now, as I was looking up uh, worship, I I saw like some guide some guidelines, and I I saw in Matthew chapter six and verse twenty four where it says, "No one can serve two masters, for he either." He will hate the one and love the other or else will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and men. So with that cannot, um, I imagine some people try to serve both, but we see here that it's not possible to serve both, not to be totally sold out and loyal to both. It's impossible. So we've looked at what Strong's 
has to say about worship, how it defines worship. But let's go to the big boss. Let's see, what does the big boss say about worship? And thank you for our, our reading. Uh, really appreciate that. This is going to be, um, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, you can. Uh, it's displayed up there. Um, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of of the house of bondage, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself and carved image any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. If I could just pause there for a minute. Usually, uh, maybe in your mind, you're saying, we, I don't have a problem with worshiping any kind of images uh, or idols. But once I kind of gave that some thought, it, it could be applicable. Because I thought about over my 22-year military career, once I retired, what did they give me? They gave me a big trophy. And depending on how I looked at that, that could have been an idol that I was worshiping all those years to get. Sometimes it's an award. Uh, a, a Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, it, it could be it could take the form of different things that we aspire to obtain. So I would just uh, caution you uh, on that. And in Exodus uh, chapter 20 and verse five, it says you shall not bow down to them. That bowing down to them part, we probably don't have a problem with. But it's the nor serve them. I think that serve them part is what gets a lot of us. And then I like how in some previous sermons, uh, Mark has defined for us. Mark has defined for us our service. He says, what gets your time? What gets your your dollars, your tokens or, or talents? And then what gets your skill? Because we're gifted with some of us have multiple skills. So wherever we employ those things, that's where our service is. So if that's not toward God, uh, I would caution you on that. Now, in the passages that we just read, Moses reminds the Hebrews that for one, God brought them out of bondage, so gave them freedom. He defines worship as bowing down and includes service, servicing. So service is a part of that. And then also no other gods because God is a jealous God. So based on what we've read so far, would you say that God is serious about worship? If he's serious about it, shouldn't you be serious about it? So I was wondering, OK, Moses gave the Hebrews reason that they should worship God. What's my reason? Why should I worship God? And we've kind of talked about this uh, already, but just in case we've forgotten in Romans, Paul shares with us in chapter three, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Like, OK, I'm human to hum to heir is human. 
Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. So there's a consequence and a penalty attached to that. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So just like the Hebrews, God has given us something as well. Through Jesus, our Lord, we can have eternal life and be saved. So if you can't think of any other reason to worship God, that should be enough in and of itself. And then another reminder in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19, it says, Paul shares with us and the Corinthians, or do you not know that your body is a temple, pardon me, is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So your body doesn't even belong to you. I thought that was amazing. So for those who have decided, yes, I do have this debt. I do need to pay uh, this off. I do need to worship God. What does it look like? Well, in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 34, Jesus answers this and other questions for us. It says there, but when the Pharisees heard this, heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So what I get from this is our worship, it should be evident by how we interact with our neighbor. Now, I've been going to church for a long time and I know that it's a scripture in here that asks who's my neighbor and I, and I was thinking okay I, I at least need to make make that uh, make that step I need to know who 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 are my immediate neighbors so uh, you'd be glad to know that I do know who my neighbors are in my neighborhood but we're talking about way beyond that that's anyone who uh, is in need, anybody that we can be of service to that we were talking about before. And again, um, I have no doubt in my mind uh, that we're loved uh, based on uh, the gift we received yesterday. Now, to illustrate, because I said it, it would be evidence in if you love God and loving your neighbor, it should be some evidence there. And we see an example here in the parable of the unforgiving servant. Now, we're also going to see worship in there uh, as well. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king 
who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. Do you see yourself in this parable? If not, remember I said we have a debt. We have a debt that Jesus paid for. So hopefully that will help clue you in on who you are in this parable. Continuing on in verse 26, the servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me and I will repay. I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and he laid hands on him. And took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison. But before I continue on, do you think he was, because remember we said with those great commandments, loving your neighbor. Do you think he showed love by grabbing him by the throat? No. Oh, what a, a little harder question then. What about if someone owes you and you don't forgive them that debt? Is that loving your neighbor? Hmm. Verse 30. And he would not but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when the fellow servant was saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told the master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all, all that debt because you begged me. Should you not have also had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torture until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from your heart, pardon me, from his heart, does not forgive his brother his trespasses. So showing compassion toward others is some evidence of our worship and following through uh, and being obedient to the commandments. Now, remember in the beginning, I said, as far as this worship, it said you can't serve two masters. You can't serve two masters. Right. So, so far, we've looked at Strong's Dictionary to see what worship, how it's defined. We've looked at what God had to say about worship. And I'm just wondering if there's any other perspectives on on worship. I thought it might have some merit or value to see what the enemy has to say about worship. Matthew chapter four, beginning at verse one. 
Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterwards, he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to. He said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones be made bread, be, become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the word of God, from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into a holy city. And set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands, they shall bear you up. least you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. That was quite quite a bit of scripture there, but I don't know if you picked up on a few things. One. I saw that the enemy is willing to exploit your condition for worship, to get you to do what he wants you to do. Jesus was hungry. He exploited that condition. He tried to. He attempted to. Also, something that we probably wouldn't expect is he used scripture. That's the last thing I would think that the enemy would use, but. We see here that he used scripture to try to trick and obtain worship. And then lastly, I saw that he put a price tag on worship. With the glory and all those cities, he said, I'll give you that for worship. So what that tells me is that worship is valuable. If the enemy is willing to give up all of that to get your worship is very valuable again. If worship is important to the enemy, shouldn't it be important to you? So we know from those previous scriptures, Christ did not bow down to him, but basically told him to get out of here. So what does it look like when Jesus Christ, when he worships? And I thought this this gave me like an, an idea in Philippians chapter two and verse one. Of what he did. And I'm pretty sure we still can't grasp the full gravity of it because we don't know what it's like to be deity in the first place. So we don't even know. I'm trying to think the highest office. What's the highest office you can think of? Maybe. Maybe president, emperor. Maybe that's the highest office. So to give that up and become a bond servant. But but let's see here. Philippians chapter two and verse one. Therefore. If there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any affliction and mercy. 
Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So Jesus made himself of no reputation. I don't know if you can really appreciate that. Let's just say. Let's just say that you were. An NBA pro professional athlete and you went someplace and they didn't recognize who you were. And you're at the park and and they're asking, hey, can you. Can you play ball? Um, are you? How difficult would it be to be humble in that instance, knowing maybe that you have a couple of championship rings? And that still pales in comparison to what we're talking about uh, here. So of no reputation, I don't think there's a higher office. And we're going to get to that of what a sacrifice that was in and of itself. And then also to take on the, the form of a bond servant. So I'm thinking that's not a high office. To me, that, that's not a high office. And then also to be obedient unto death. Well, we read in verse six in Exodus where it said God shows mercy to those who love him and, uh, and keep his commandments. So let's see, how did this turn out for Jesus? We, we can't even grasp the sacrifice what he did but let's see how did God recognize and reward him though in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9 we see therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the knee of Jesus pardon me that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of heaven of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and the glory of God to God to, to the glory of God the Father. I was having a conversation with um, some folks that weren't necessarily Christian. They had their own different beliefs. And I just kind of listened to the conversation until they got to me and they asked me, what did I think? And I said, the God that I serve, everyone's going to bow down to him. Every tongue. Now, does your God say that anywhere? Anywhere? Does it say that? What about this? I got one more thing for you. One more thing. <clears throat> um, does your God have a heaven and a hell to put you in? Because my God does. He has a whole heaven and a whole hell that he'll allow you to pick which one you want to go to. Does your God have that? Well, that's the God that I serve. And it kind of sounds like this God that we're reading about. 
So we uh, kind of looked at how God exalted Jesus as far as him not bowing down to the devil and giving in and going to the cross for us. So I wonder, does that extend uh, a bit further? So other than the devil, is there anybody else that's after God's glory is what I was wondering. Is there anybody else that would like the limelight, uh, if you will? And I think Daniel answers this question for us, beginning here in chapter 3 and verse 8. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. They spoke and said, I know I had a a misprint there. Uh, Verse 10, you, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So it kind of sounds like there's somebody else that's after this worship other than the devil. But let's let's continue on. Now, I was trying to think, is it unique with this furnace and this fire? But then I also saw in that John in Revelation talks about and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So this this fire is not just for uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. There's some fire for some others as well. Verse 12. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your God or worship the gold image which you have set up. I thought that was interesting, too. Could that be said of you? That you haven't bowed down. You haven't served other gods. That you're loyal and committed to the only true God. I thought that was a testimony in and of itself. Verse 15. Now if you're ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery and symphony with all kinds of music and You fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who can deliver you from my hands? I thought that question at the end was very powerful. Who is the God who can deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered. Um, Before I read that, though, I was wondering, what would be your answer to that question? 
Who's the God that can deliver you from someone else's hands? But I, I love I love their answer. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. It seemed like they dropped king off of there. Um, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. So he's like, don't waste your time. That's what I get from that. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their garments and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound in the midst of the burning fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered, and said to the king, true, O king, look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the son of God. And I don't know if you're like me. I'm probably wondering, how did he know what the form of the, the form of uh, son, uh, son of God looked like? How did he even know that? Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. That part I have underlined there, servants of the Most High God. It seemed like there's some acknowledgement taking place here. It seemed like he kind of had a revelation or maybe a paradigm shift. Or he came to himself, to his senses. Verse 27. And the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and they saw these men on whom on whose bodies the fire had no power. Their hair, the hair on their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected and the smell of fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angels and delivered his servants, who trusted him. And they had frustrated the king's words and yielded their bodies, that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. I don't know if you ever heard this phrase about um, eating your own words. Have you heard that before? That's what I kind of got here because it frustrated the king. But for him to admit that, that had to be a large 
uh, a large feat. I think he was humble by what he saw and what he witnessed. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made an ash heap. I'd like to stop there for a minute because I'm just thinking about the current state of affairs. How often do, do we hear and see all kinds of blasphemous stuff about our God? Look at the state that we're in. Maybe it's because we don't have a king that has witnessed what King Nebuchadnezzar has witnessed. Because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Hopefully, uh, this time that I've spent with you uh, has broadened your definition of worship. Uh, maybe proskuneo. Uh, maybe if you just walk away with nothing other than the Greek word for worship. However, if you don't have a God on your side, if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you don't have a relationship with him, or if you're not in good standing, you're in the right place. If you're online, reach out to our elders, our leadership. But if you're with, with us in the building, we ask that you come forward, take a seat on the front pew if there's anything that we can do uh, to change your uh, situation or to help you. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com.